that whoever owns the family owns the future. And not only is that the future running down the aisle, but that's also our present, because children are also the present. They are uh, so much of our energy and our, our focus centers around the children, and rightfully so. Didn't Jesus say, let the little children come to me? Not just wait until they're teenagers, let the little ones come to me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And so this is a great privilege and responsibility we have as a church family, is to nurture these children, because they are the future uh, as we serve them in the present. Today we're studying a story that has a lot to do with this, a story that anyone who's ever gone to Sunday school knows by heart. We just watched it in the video, Baby Moses in the Basket Boat. And so we have little need to rehearse all of the finer details of this story as we're very familiar with them. But there are some very powerful and often overlooked truths embedded within this very familiar story that I'd like to focus our attention in on this morning. And so before we do that, would you bow with me? Father in heaven, thank you for this word. Thank you for what we can learn from it. And I pray now that as we look into it, as we dive a little bit deeper, uh, especially as we look into Pharaoh and what motivated this this evil action, Lord, and, and what this means for our world today, I pray that you would simply give me boldness, give me courage, Lord, to share what you've laid on my heart. I pray that you would give us the ability to receive, Lord, and that you would stir us by your word and through your spirit today. That you would show us what you want us to do in response. Please help us, Lord, as we seek to raise children and to protect them, Lord, in this world in which we live. In Jesus' name, amen. So we picked up the narrative today in Exodus chapter 1, verse 22, a verse that we can read very quickly and almost gloss over. And that verse is this. Then Pharaoh gave this order... To all his people. I want you to underline that word, all. This wasn't an isolated incident given to only a few soldiers, an elect few, if you will. No, this was an order given to all his people. And the order was this. Every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now I'm going to begin this morning with a blunt statement of fact. Satan hates children. Is that a little bit too in your face, a little bit shocking, if you will? Satan hates children. Is this a little bit frightening? Well, it should be because the fact is it's true. Where do you think that Satan, or pardon me, that Pharaoh got the idea to drown these baby boys in the river? Now, we know that the Egyptians were a polytheistic culture that worshipped a wide number of of different pagan gods. Now, these gods, we, we see them in the carvings. We see them. Some of them were frogs. Some of them were cats. There was all sorts of different creatures, idols that they worshipped. We think of them as being some sort of benign, powerless beings. Well, the statues themselves were, but Scripture and history record that these false gods were, and in often cases still are, empowered by demonic forces that have just enough supernatural power to deceive people into worshipping them. A direct example of this occurs later on when Moses throws down his staff. God gives him the power to throw down his staff, and it turns into a serpent. Shockingly, however, Pharaoh had sorcerers in his court who were capable of doing the exact same thing. They too had staffs that they could throw down and turn into serpents. 
So we clearly see that the battle for the Israelite babies was more than just Pharaoh versus Israelite mothers. This was a spiritual battle. It was a power between a, uh, a battle between powers and principalities. It was God versus Satan himself. So don't think for a second that Pharaoh's plan for mass murder tantamount to genocide of the Israelite people. Don't think for a second that this was just all his own doing. He didn't just come up with this plan on his own. No, Satan, the enemy of God, hates God's children. Of course, it's equally true to say that Satan hates all people, regardless of age. But it seems that he has somehow reserved an extra measure of hatred and evil towards the most innocent and the most vulnerable of our world. And it begs the question, why? Why does he have such a hatred towards what is most pure and innocent? Well, it seems to have begun all the way back in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, directly after the fall, God pronounces the curse on the serpent and the promise. And he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. And from that moment forward, children, being the offspring of the woman, have been firmly in the devil's crosshairs. Why? Because in this verse, God declared that it would be through a child, specifically a boy child, that Satan's defeat would come, that his head would be crushed. And so Satan knew that always the children were the greatest threat to him. And he knew, if we didn't know, that whoever owns the family owns the future. And so he put extra effort and emphasis on focusing on those who are most innocent, the children. Another shocking angle to this verse is that God reveals that just as the woman would have offspring, we see that it would be the offspring of the woman, he also indicates that Satan would have offspring. Because the offspring would be at enmity between each other. So it begs the question, who or what are Satan's offspring? Well, the first clue we find of his offspring happens in Genesis chapter 6 and verses 2 to 4, just prior to the flood, when the Bible describes how wicked and evil the world has become. And we find this very mysterious, interesting passage, Genesis 6 verses 2 to 4, that we're told that the sons of God, interpreted as angels, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. And they actually descended and married and had children with them who were known as the heroes of old, men of renown. And so we see here that these fallen angels were actually capable of having physical offspring. But now it appears that these fallen angels having physical offspring was such a violation of God's created order that not only were they destroyed in the great flood of Noah's day, But the Apostle Peter refers to disobedient spirits who during the time of Noah, likely the fallen angels who had done this, were imprisoned by God to await final judgment. What they had done was so egregious to God that they were not allowed to roam free any longer. They were imprisoned awaiting final judgment. And so here we see Satan and the, the powers of darkness having been stopped short by God at having their own physical offspring. And so he moves on to a new tactic, spiritual offspring. Satan would now use his power and his influence and his lies 
more than anything, to corrupt those who would either knowingly or, in most cases, unknowingly, become his spiritual children and serve him as their unholy father. You know, this seems kind of shocking, doesn't it? It's all a little bit like, wow, this is, this is crazy stuff. But Jesus actually spelled this out in the most blunt terms when he confronted the Pharisees. Listen to how Jesus confronts the Pharisees in John chapter 8 and verses 44 and 45. He gives it to them with absolutely both barrels. Listen to what he says. You belong to your father, the devil. Talk about both barrels. Talking to the religious leaders of the day, Jesus says, you belong to your father, the devil. And listen to this. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. And so here we see that the Pharisees, who believed in fact that they were children of God, you know, we are are descendants of Abraham, deceived, bought into the lie, they were actually, as Jesus boldly called them to their faces, children of the devil. Now remember, Satan desires to take God's place. He desires to usurp his power. That was his great sin right in the very beginning. And so just as God, in his love and in his his essence as a father, he desires to have children who will worship and follow him. And Satan, in his own twisted upside-down way, desires the same. But with him, everything is the inverse. Where God is holiness, love, and truth, Satan is wickedness, hatred, and lies. And this is why even hearing the truth straight from Jesus' lips, the Son of God himself, the Pharisees heard the truth and they would not, and in fact, they could not, believe. They had been corrupted by the lie. They had believed Satan's lies, and as a result, their minds and hearts were inoculated to the truth. They could not receive it. Make no mistake, Pharaoh not only represents the enemy, his evil actions were inspired by the enemy. And we can continue throughout the pages of scripture and see that Satan never gave up his hatred and deliberate targeting of children, specifically boys. Why do you think that the false gods of Baal and Moloch demanded that baby boys be sacrificed to them as burnt offerings in return for their divine favor? In his book, Adopted for Life, Russell Moore says that Satan hates children and always has. This is what he writes. Whether through political machinations such as those of Pharaoh and Herod, through military conquests in which bloodthirsty armies rip babies from pregnant mothers' wombs, as we read in the book of Amos, or through the more routine seeming family disintegration and family chaos, children are always hurt. Human history is riddled with their corpses. And this is not only some ancient history that happened in long ago barbaric times. No, the exact same thing has continued to happen. And instead of decreasing, it is increasing right now today on planet Earth. We have only to look at this last century. History has fails to, to come up with the proper words to describe what transpired in the 20th century on planet Earth. There was more suffering, there were more children killed 
in the last century than in all of the other centuries of history combined. Did you know that? The result of the world wars, that that stands alone, and yet it didn't stop there. It has continued unabated. You know, we of course know Adolf Hitler was an evil man. He was deliberate and systematic in targeting the Jews for extermination, which included 1.5 million children who were murdered in the Holocaust. 1.5 million. I stood in the tribute to the the children's... in the Holocaust Museum in in Jerusalem, and it's just, words fail me to describe what it's like to to sit there and watch names, one by one, go across the screen, one name every four seconds, and it would take the entire year to cycle through all of the names of the children who died in the Holocaust. And I could sit there for five minutes and see many names, but I would have to be there for the whole year to see them all. Things like that just, just bring home the reality of how large this sort of evil is. That kind of evil was not just one madman's idea either. But even that begins to seem like a long time ago. You know, that's already over 70 years ago. Certainly our world today is better, right? Well, as of mid-December 2016, the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights reported that the number of children killed in the Syrian war has risen to 15,948. The number maimed, wounded, and suffering is in the untold hundreds of thousands. And this has been going on right now, today, and it's been happening for the last six years. And for what? For what? What is the purpose of all of this? On a global scale, according to statistics by UNICEF, under the age of five alone, this is only talking about kids five and under, every single day on planet Earth, 29,000 children die. That's 21 each minute. So in the 75 minutes that we're going to spend in church here today, that's 1,575 children gone from this world. The vast majority from preventable causes. I can keep going. Have you had enough yet? I know this is heavy. I know this is heavy, but hold on, because we're just touching the tip of the iceberg. For one complete century, for 100 years... From 1869 to 1969, the abortion of unborn babies was completely banned and considered murder by Canadian courts for an entire century in our nation. But in 1967, then-Justice Minister Pierre Trudeau introduced a bill which included an amendment to Section 251 of the Criminal Code which prohibited abortions. The bill was passed on May 14, 1969, and provided for abortions when the health of the woman was in danger. However, the term health was not defined, and therapeutic abortion committees were free to develop their own theories as to when a likely danger to health would justify an abortion. Then in 1988, a court ruling struck down that law altogether, making abortion in Canada legal at all stages of pregnancy. Consider this for a moment. Just objectively think about this. There are only three nations in the entire world who have this legal stance towards abortion. Three nations in the entire world that have zero laws regulating abortion. I'm going to read you the list. It's Canada, China, and North Korea. Think about that. Canada, China, and North Korea, the only nations on earth that have zero regulations for abortion. The result of this... 
Statistics say 300 children are aborted every single day in our nation. Since 1970, approximately 3.2 million unborn babies have been aborted. And in the category of like father, like son, our current Prime Minister said on May 7, 2014, quote, All Liberal MPs, regardless of their personal views, would be expected to vote pro-choice. Now, I know it sounds like I'm getting political right here, but that's not my intent. I'm simply speaking the truth. And God's truth is that all children are a gift from him. All children. And so from conception forward, their lives are precious. They deserve and, yes, demand that we protect and nurture them. Satan has deceived our nation collectively and its leaders into believing this lie, that unborn children are not yet fully human and therefore they don't deserve the fundamental human right to life and protection that every last one of us enjoys today. And so if a child is unexpected, inconvenient, potentially unhealthy, or for any other reason, simply abort them, no questions asked, ever. And in stark contrast to this view, God's word declares in Psalm 127, verse 3, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Psalm 139, verse 13 continues this theme. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You know, just a week and a half ago, Leanne and I had the privilege of getting to see an ultrasound of our our soon-to-come baby boy or girl. And we saw this ultrasound. Uh, I'd never seen one this early before. And there it was on the screen, about the size of a walnut, about that big. And at that size, we could already see the head, we could already see the form of the body, and we could see that the little, little arms and little legs were already just given her. And, and as a father, seeing that, my heart, it just, I can't describe it. It's incredible, and I love this little life already. This is my child, and God is right now knitting it together in Leanne's womb. How incredible is that? Here is life right before our very eyes. And the simple fact that in this nation, Leanne and I are free to choose that right now we could end that life with literally no legal consequences. None. It turns my stomach. Yes, just as God loves and creates children, Satan hates and actively seeks to destroy them. I want you to remember something this morning. To raise children is to be engaged in spiritual warfare. If you're a parent here today, you know it to be true. If you are involved in raising children, you are engaged in spiritual warfare. Because there is an enemy who is fighting for their souls. There is. You have felt it. You have experienced it. If you are a parent, you are engaged in a spiritual battle. As it happened in the days of Moses, it is happening today. And so what can we possibly do in the face of such an evil and cunning enemy? When it seems like all the, uh, the forces of the world are stacked against us, what do we do? 
Well, I want us to look at the example of Moses' parents this morning. And the first thing we see from their example is this. We trust God. That's always number one. We trust God and we resist. Trust God and resist. Moses' parents, we can find elsewhere their names, Amram and Jochebed. Amram and Jochebed would have undoubtedly had mixed emotions when they realized that they had conceived a child. For if a boy, they knew that he was to be thrown into the Nile River. And so what would they do? We read in verse 2, And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Now I have to chuckle on this verse a little bit because the text implies that it was because Moses was a fine child that Jochebed decided to save him. But I have to wonder, has there ever been a mother who didn't think her child was fine? Ever? (laughs) Isn't every baby the moment he's given or she's given to the mother, isn't that the cutest baby that's ever been made? So I just have to chuckle at that a little bit. You know, oh, he's kind of ugly. Yeah, Nile River. No, I don't think that was ever happening for Jochebed. Nonetheless, rather than giving in to Pharaoh, rather than being intimidated by the imminent danger that they would place themselves in by disobeying the order, Moses' parents decide to hide him away. They trust God and they resist. They don't give in. They obey God rather than man. Hebrews 11 verse 23 says of them, By faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. You see, so often when we face the enemy, he appears so powerful that we are paralyzed by fear and do nothing. But in fact, God wants us to put our faith in him, not fear the enemy, fear him who is greater, and then resist the enemy in his strength. James chapter 4 verse 7 says of this, if we do so. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So, abortion has been legal in our nation now for 47 years. 47 years is a long time. Does that mean that, well, there's nothing we can do? We just shrug our shoulders collectively as a church and walk away? No. We trust God and we resist in the ways that he would have us do. Now, resisting doesn't mean picking up picket signs or doing, doing drastic things. It doesn't mean doing violent things or aggressive things. No, we are called to be salt and light. And so resisting in this context can look a wide variety of different ways. It can look like things that we're already doing. Supporting the new Hope Home or the crisis pregnancy centers or young women who are in crisis pregnancy situations can have a real alternative. We can encourage young women To choose adoption, it is a viable option. Choose life. We can stay politically informed. We can write to our elected leaders to work towards implementing any law, any law that would begin to protect the unborn, to give them any rights. And of course, we pray. We pray and we live out our lives as salt and light in this land, praying for God to change hearts. So we trust God and we resist. Secondly, we protect and prepare. When baby Moses starts getting too loud to be safely hid away any longer, can you just imagine that, a baby getting too loud? I can't even begin to imagine a loud baby. I don't have any loud kids. 
<laughs> Anyone want to call me out on that this morning? You've heard them this morning. Yeah, kids can be loud. Even before three months, they can be loud. Especially by three months' time, they're using their pipes. They're loud, and they can't hide them anymore. And so rather than just naively hoping that they'll not be found out, they consider the situation, and they make a plan to try to save his life. Was ever a basket boat as perfectly and prayerfully constructed as that basket was? Every angle was doubtlessly considered and agonized over. They paid attention to every detail. They even had his sister Miriam watch the basket, knowing that a child playing by the river would draw less attention than an adult. It's likely that even the location of the launch was strategically chosen. They didn't just leave it all to chance. They planned to protect Moses and prepared accordingly. And the same holds true for those of us who have children under our care. It may not be as overt a danger as having a tyrant want to throw our child into the river, but we need to recognize that the enemy has our kids in his crosshairs nonetheless. Just as the days of Pharaoh, the devil wants to use ways both sinister and systematic to destroy our children, if not physically, then spiritually. The influences that they are bombarded with on a daily basis often through our entertainment, our technology-obsessed culture, all of these things, they start out subtle, but they are sinister in intent, and when they've led to their ultimate destination, their hearts have been corrupted, ensnared in his web. And we have to be aware and guard against this threat. There's a fable told that once in a harvest field, a spider crawled along. A grasshopper came by and extended one of his feelers as if to shake hands with the spider. Well, the spider reached out, quick as a flash, attaching one strand of a web onto the grasshopper. Instead of flying away as the grasshopper easily could have done, he stayed, and the spider attached another strand. The grasshopper pulled against the web a little and saw that it was not strong enough to hold him. At any time, he could easily break that web and go free. So it didn't bother him in the least. He stayed to see what the spider would do. So the process continued, and the grasshopper seemed totally oblivious to the fact that now he was getting into trouble, until eventually, when he decided that enough was enough and he was going to fly away, he realized he couldn't. The spider had turned his green friend over and then had him for lunch. This is how the devil works. One strand at a time. And the lie is always there, I can break free. I can break free whenever I choose until finally you try to break free and the web is thick and it is strong and breaking free is not easily done. This is how he works. As adults who have experienced the power of the enemy, we should not be surprised that so many children become ensnared. And that is why, though most would never realize it or admit it, (laughs) they need our help. Children need our help. The children God has placed under our care, we are called to do everything we can to protect and prepare them to enter this world as adults on their own. And this is why our church is doing practical things like offering a new parenting course, raising kingdom kids to help equip parents to point their kids towards God. 
And I thank God for the many homes within this congregation today that are doing just that, that are prayerfully and intentionally training their children to be disciples of Jesus Christ and servants of God. Kids who grow to love and serve him. Isn't that what we all want? We want them to be able to move beyond us into adulthood, secure and firm in their position in Christ and living their lives for him. It's what we all want, isn't it? But we can't just leave that to chance. We can't just hope that going through the motions here and doing what we do every once in a while is going to be enough. No, we have to put everything we have into this. We must do everything we can to protect and prepare them. And then thirdly, we launch the boat. We launch the boat. The fateful day comes and the basket boat with its precious cargo was launched into the Nile River. Having done everything she could, Moses' life was now out of his parents' hands and in the Lord's. Some of you have or are currently going through the stage of launching your children into adulthood. You're you're setting that boat out on the river. Whether you're ready or not, there it goes. And Moses' mother, literally launching her son into the unknown, had to trust God completely in that moment that somehow, some way, he would protect her son and guide him to safety. And there were crocodiles out there, and there was the real threat of that boat flipping over and him drowning. There were any number of things that could have gone wrong on that fateful day, and she had to launch that boat in full trust that God would do what only he could and see her son through his safety. And we know what God does. Look at what he does. Everything is aligned perfectly. The drift of the current, the timing of the princess bathing, coinciding with the basket's appearance so that she would spot it at just the right moment. Moses crying out at just the exact time to melt that princess's heart, move her to compassion, and then Miriam's instincts and bravery to quickly assess the situation, run to the princess, offer to find her a nursemaid for the baby, so that at the end of the day, three-month-old Moses is where? He's not crocodile food. He's not drowned in the river. No, he is back in his mother's arms, safe and sound. Who but God could arrange something like that? Who but God could arrange that not only is he safe and sound back in his mother's arms, but they are now under legal protection from the princess herself? Some of you might still be waiting for your your child or your children to return to your arms. Perhaps physically, perhaps emotionally, perhaps spiritually. I want to encourage you today to trust the same God who did this for Moses, and he is able to do this for your child as well. Yes, we have a powerful enemy who hates our children, but guess what? We have an even greater God who loves our children with a never-ending love. So trust God and resist the enemy. Protect and prepare them, and then launch the boat, trusting that God is in control. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you love our children with a never-ending, undying, unquenchable love. Thank you that even as great a love as I feel for my children, yours is greater still. It doesn't wane, it doesn't ebb, it doesn't flow, it doesn't grow irritated, tired, or weary. No, Lord, your love is perfect. Thank you that we can rest in it and that we can trust that your ways are for our good. And that as we seek 
to guide and to nurture, to prepare and protect the children under our care, O Lord. Equip us with every spiritual thing that we need, every, every weapon that we need in the full arsenal, that we can wage war with the enemy and win. Because, Lord, we don't want to fight this battle and lose. We don't want to see the enemy take hold of our children. Oh, Lord, we want to win this battle. So please help us, Lord, by your mighty power that we could wage this spiritual battle and win, that the children under our care, young or old, oh, Lord, that they would be found secure and firm in you. And that whether they are a long ways off right now or very close, that at the end of the day, when everything is said and done, they will be safe in your care, and in your embrace. For we know this is your will. You desire, Lord, all children to be found in you through Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for our land. We pray, Lord, that you would soften the hearts of politicians, even our Prime Minister, Lord, to consider that unborn life is precious and deserves our protection. Please, Lord, work in such a way to bring about a miracle. 47 years in the making, O Lord, we pray that you would bring about mercy to this land, that again, children could be nurtured and protected even before birth. O Father, bring this about. Please show us ways that we can be engaged in this, even though it seems like such an uphill battle. Please encourage those who are engaged in this, Lord, and help us to prayerfully support and encourage those who are engaged. And that there are ways that we can be involved. Please help us to do so, Lord, knowing that no effort done in your name and for the children will go unrewarded. And so, Father, we pray that you would work this about. Please show mercy to our land, for, Lord, we know that this great offense demands nothing less than your judgment. And so, Lord, show mercy, for you are a merciful God. Thank you for your love and your grace, which is new every day, and it is available to us today. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Send us forth in your name and in your power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.